There is no greater love than to lay down my life for my Savior. What would happen if your personal focus shifted from the internal to the external, from yourself to the world around you? Would you lay it all down as a sacrifice to Jesus? Would you dare to take a step to go where he says go? Would you go tell others the good news that Jesus is alive? Would you do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to serve him, to witness to the world around you? Would your prayer be God, here I am. Send me, use me for your glory. Good morning. Glad that you are here. Um, If you want to grab your notes, there's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. You'll need a pen or a pencil. Or if you want to use the online version, you notes, that's fine. And if you learn best by, like, can remember everything that's said, more power to you. However it works for you, that's what what we want. Um, This this is almost um, such an understatement. Um, outreach, missions, impact, the world at large is hugely important to us as a body. And the reason I say it's an understatement, I don't have the vocabulary, the adjectives. Um, It would be difficult for me to even try to express to you how important it is to the life of this church. Just a couple of examples when we first started the church, a decision was made before, before any meeting, before any offering, before any, anything else, we made this decision that whatever was given in this church that was not designated, which is most of the money that's given, we were going to take 10% of that money, set it aside in a fund just so that we could give it away to other people. We made that decision before we ever put a budget in place, before we ever decided um, uh, what was going to happen. We felt like, man, we are blessed to be a blessing. We're going to put our money where our mouth is and not talk about it and do it. And at the time, we had no idea what that would mean. But today, well over a million dollars every year is given just in global outreach. Things that are like um, orphanages in other countries, spreading the gospel, but it's also in things like feeding people here, educating them in so many different ways. The whole idea of outreach and being an outwardly focused church is so important to us. Uh, I just got back from Israel, had this really surreal experience that I think might relate this idea of why it's important to be an outwardly focused group of people. One of the places we visit in Israel is the Dead Sea, and the significance of the Dead Sea, it's the lowest point on the face of the earth that you can go to. Several thousand feet below sea level, and it's a really interesting place. Uh, It's stark in its beauty. You're in the middle of a desert with this incredible body of water, but nothing lives in it. All of this fresh water from the Sea of Galilee and from snow melt and tributaries, they end up flowing down into this body of water called the Dead Sea. And the reason it dies, it's so low, nothing can get back out of it. So all the fresh water goes into it, but nothing can get back out of it. And I think it's a metaphor for our lives and for how the gospel works. If all we do is take, 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 and it never goes back out, it ends up being polluted. There's no fresh. There's no, (laughs) there's no movement. And I think that it serves as a reminder to believers and to churches and to groups of people that it's not enough to just take in, but that we need to be giving out too. Both of those things are equally important. And so as we begin to talk about the idea of being outwardly focused and, and, and not, look, here's the deal. We're blessed, but we're blessed to be a blessing. Does that make sense? It's not just about getting, it's about 
life-giving and letting it be able to go through us. And so that, that whole idea and the principle, of, uh, it, it's just so important. And then once a, a, a year for a month, we try to highlight some of those things that we do as a church, uh, internationally and locally. And um, two, two of our pastors, Jonathan and Rebecca Murley, uh, they administrate the budget uh, over our missions, but they're more than that, man. They're, they have such pastor's heart, not only for you, but for our mission. I'll give you an example. We had two missionaries, Rodney and Rodas Gephardt, who, uh, who were actually Jubilee people. They, they were our own people raised up, and they work in Haiti in the Dominican Republic. They were on their way back here for this month to be part of the speaking team, and she had a stroke when she got to Miami. Young lady, young lady. Jonathan, man, drops everything, and he's in Miami, and he's sitting with her while she's in the hospital and going through the surgery. That's the kind of people Jonathan and Rebecca are. They're not just here administering a budget and just taking care of. They, they love you and they love people. And last year, they took more than 15% of our body on short-term mission trips. Can you imagine? That's awesome. Literally hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm just so proud of the work that they do. And once a year, we take a, a month and we highlight some of the things that are going on in outreach and how this church is outwardly focused. And Jonathan started last week our series uh, for this little event is called Through Every Window. Meaning that when we look through all the windows, all the opportunities, there's always people that we can see and that we should be available to reach. And so John began to talk last week about that. And for this week, this weekend, and for next weekend, um, my assignment is to talk about through every window. And so when I wrote the message for, um, for this weekend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use sort of the pressure of a negative and a positive. I'm going to talk about why we don't always see through the window. And then I'm going to talk about how we can see through the window. It'll make sense here in just a minute. So I'm going to use the pressure of a negative, why we don't see through it, why we don't do anything about what we see, and then I'm going to talk about how we can be used by God to do great things in this world. And sometimes it's just realizing it's not trying to change the whole world, it's just changing the little part that God's given to you. Yeah. And I told that story years and years ago about that kid who walking on a beach right outside of Miami comes across a crazy low tide that had washed thousands and thousands of starfish up on the beach. And they were stranded. And as the kid was walking along, he would bend over and pick one up and throw it back in the water. But there were literally hundreds of thousands of these starfish. One guy couldn't save them all. And some adult comes walking along and tells the kid, what are you doing? You're never going to be able to save them. And the kid bent over and picked up one and threw it. And he said, it changed that one. We may not be able to get them all, but we can get a few. And the one that's in front of you, man, you can be responsible for. And so that's sort of where this message begins to come into place. So if you have your pen or your pencil, we'll jump into it real quick. We're talking about through every window, and I'm going to use the negative at first, but I won't leave you there. Why don't we see sometimes through the window. Why don't we see need? Why don't we see people? Why don't we see what's going on? Here, here's the first one. Sometimes we're just simply too far away to see it. Uh, just got back from Israel, 8,000 mile trip. Um, when our group goes, we divide up the pastors. Uh, it, this is a little bit morose, but see if you can understand this. Should something happen, we don't want every pastor on the same plane. Make sense? Yeah. yeah that's just, you're acting like I've never heard such a uh, thing. No, well, never mind. Um, Chris and I took the long route back. And the long route is, listen to this, it's a nonstop from Tel Aviv to San Francisco. 15 hours. And it's brutal, man. It is just, I don't care, um, at some level, 15 hours on an airplane is probably one step removed from hell is the, um, <laughs> is the thought. I'm being facetious. Very facetious. You're traveling at 36,000 uh, feet in the air. And here's what I know. At that level, 
you can look down and you can see movement. If you're familiar with where you are, you can actually identify mountains or highways. For those of you who fly, you know when you're flying into Denver, uh, sometimes you're even able to pick out your neighborhood, aren't you? But here's what I do know. You're so high, you might see a car move, you might see a neighborhood, but you can't see a face, can you? And you sure can't hear a voice, and you really have no idea what's going on with a person from that distance. Do you agree? And the truth of the matter is, as simple as this explanation is, one of the reasons that we don't see is because we're simply too far removed. We live in a day and a time and a place where it's more easy to be anonymous than it is to be in community. I bet for many of you, like me, when you're driving down your street to your house, you can press a button, the door is up, and your car is in the garage and closed before you're in the house. It's easy not to connect. In fact, if you're going to connect, you have to be very intentional, don't you? Why don't we see need? Why, why can't we see out the window? Sometimes it's just because we're too far away. And when I use the idea of 36,000 feet, how about this? You can be two feet and not see. You can be right next to someone and not pick up what's going on. You don't have to be close in order to see. You just have to be open. Now look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell two stories and um, I'm going to take a chance. Because the first story I'm going to tell you is a bad story and it's about me. And you're going to have a chance to judge me if you want to. In fact, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. Here's why I'm doing it though. Most people take pastors and they elevate them to be something that they're not. We tend to see pastors as above us or beyond us or they've got some kind of a relationship with God that I'll never have. In fact, growing up as a Catholic kid, I was always taught that if you want to talk to God, you talk to the priest. And can I just make this statement one more time so that you understand there is no junior version of the Holy Spirit. The same one that lives in the Pope lives in me and lives in you. Amen. You don't need a man to go between you and God. And the only reason I'm going to do this right now is to remove the fallacy that there is some kind of a supernatural relationship. We're all in the same place, in the same boat, struggling with the same issues. So, I don't want it to put you in a place where you go, gosh, man, he can't be my pastor if he struggles with things like that. I'm going to tell you the truth. I know all the pastors in this area. I'm one of the better ones. <laughs> How about that, Brenda? Huh? How about that? So, before you go, well, I'll just find another one. Eh, just hang on. <laughs> You don't have to be 36,000 feet in the air in order to miss it. Sometimes you can be very close and you just, you just don't see it. Here's, here's the bad story. There's a good, one, a good one coming, but this is a bad one. Um, we were coming back from vacation this summer and um, we had left Phoenix. We were driving. It was me and Chris and Brent. Brent's our special needs son. Uh, we had made it from there to Raton, New Mexico. You ever been there? Yes. If not, thank God. <laughs> We got to Raton. We pulled off the highway to get gas. It had been raining really, really hard. We were tired. Had, had left probably, you know, 4 o'clock that morning, and I was road weary. And this is all an excuse, I realize. We pulled off the highway to get gas. Chris and Brent jumped out, went inside to use the facility, and I was going to gas the car. And it was really strange in that it had been raining, and it was real dark. It was just kind of this eerie uh, kind of a feeling, and nobody was there at the gas station. So I look around first, and it just seemed kind of strange. Um, pull up to the gas pump, right? I open my door. I reach into my console to get my wallet out. And has this ever happened to you? Um, all of a sudden, you're aware of a presence of a person that's right behind you. 
So this person didn't identify themselves. They didn't call my name. They didn't make any noise. All of a sudden, now get this, I'm stuck. Okay, I can't back up and I can't go forward and I have my hand on my wallet. And this person's standing right behind me and I don't know what they're going to do. And I turn around and it's a homeless guy and he's holding a bottle of tequila. And he's trying to ask me for help, but he was pretty messed up and it scared me. Have you ever been scared? Three of us have been scared. <laughs> Three people in the whole building. Have you ever been scared? I was vulnerable and I was scared and I'm not saying it was the right thing, but I was scared. It made me jump and I turned around and in a loud voice, I said, you need to back up now. And he's trying to tell me that he needs help, but he won't move. And all of these thoughts are running through my head. He's going to steal my money. He's going to, my wife's in, what? Fear does funny things to people, doesn't it? Look at me. I cursed at him. Trying to get him to move and to back up, I let him have it. I cursed at him, and it worked. He backed up. It hurt him. Maybe you can't handle that. Maybe you're like a pastor, and that should never happen to you. I'm admitting I'm taking a chance right now. He walked away, and I gassed my car and tried to get out of there as quick as I could. And we're heading back into Colorado. You're almost right on the border, and you start going up Raton Pass. And it's dead silence in my car. And all of a sudden, hot tears are running down my face. And I look at my wife, and I'm like, how can I treat another human being like that? I say I love Jesus, and I stand in front of thousands of people and I say this thing is real and it's true. And then I treat a human being like that right there. This is rhetorical. But have you ever been two people at one time? No justification. No, amen, sometimes we just simply blow it. And sometimes we don't see it when we're so close to it because fear gets in the way. Fear does funny things to us, man. Fear shuts you down. Fear closes your heart. Fear makes you judge. Fear puts you in a really funny place. Hey, can I be honest with you or not? Yeah. I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging about it. I don't think it was right. I'm trying to tell you a story because I think we all struggle with these things at times. But who do you tell? I'm driving up a hill. You know what I did? I repented. God, I'm so sorry. God, that was wrong. God, that's not what I should do. God, how could this happen? Of course, the enemy loves that place too. Because not only is he there to tempt you, then he's there to judge you. God, have mercy on me. Do you know what the shortest prayer in the Bible is? Shortest prayer in the Bible. Three words. Who said that? Say it out loud again. Lord save me. The fourth and fifth words of this glove glove. Lord save me. You're right. The disciples are on a boat in a storm, and Jesus comes walking in the middle of the night to them. Listen to the story real quick. And they freak out because they don't know who it is. They've never seen that before. There's no context for somebody walking on water. And they freak out. The Bible says they think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, fear not, it is I. And Peter, if it's really you, let me come to you. And Jesus said, come on. And the most miraculous thing happens, man. Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water. Can you imagine the cheers, the thoughts, the hope, the dreams? This is real. Look what this means. And then the Bible says he got focused on the wind and the waves and the problem and fear entered into his life, and he began to sink. And do you remember what he said? Three words. Lord, save me. Real quick, if you can't remember any other prayer, the most important one you'll ever pray are those three words. Lord, save me. And driving up a hill 
in Raton, New Mexico, having made a stupid mistake, I cried out to God again, Lord, save me. Help me. I didn't need you 42 years ago. Only I need you just as much right now. You know what makes that story interesting? When I was in Israel on the Sea of Galilee a little more than a week ago, 10 days ago, we go out to the middle of the lake and they shut the engine off and you're out there by yourself with your group. And uh, so I've got a bunch of believers with me and I'm teaching on that story right there. And behind me are two guides and our drivers and all of these guys that own the boat and they're all Jewish and they're not believers. And while I'm preaching this message on the shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord save me, the Holy Spirit says, turn around and tell them. So I turned around to my Jewish friends and I said the most important prayer you could ever pray, these three words, Lord save me. Isn't it funny how at times without fear you can be so bold and brave? And sometimes fear takes over our life and we turn into this other person that we detest. So why are you telling us this? Because sometimes we just don't see it because we all struggle. Fear is one of those things that can block the view. Do you agree? Uh, Let me give you another one. Sometimes we can't see. Listen to the deep theology behind this. Sometimes we can't see because we can't see. Deep, 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 deep. Chris and I bought a house uh, 20 years ago, and it was new at the time. Um, But like all houses, you know, man, we raised our kids there in the house. It's 20 years older now, and um, man, it needs renovated, so we're doing a little bit here and a little bit there. But one of the things that needs renovation is the windows. So this strange thing has happened. This film, it's double-pane windows, and this film is developed between the panes of glass. Anybody else ever had that happen? Do you know what I'm talking about? You could scrub that baby. I mean, scrub it, and it doesn't change it because it's inside. You can't get at it. And it gets worse. And it's such an aggravation that I won't even look out of my bedroom window because I can't see across the street. It aggravates me. And sometimes the stuff in our life gets in the way of us seeing other things. And you know, right now in Israel, the three high holidays are going on. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And the reason it's important to you, uh, these represent things, types and shadows of God fulfilling things through Jesus. Their promises, their statements, their, their understandings that as Western believers, we miss some things because culturally we don't get it. But here's what an observant Jew is doing during these holidays. They take a a 10-day time period to look inside to take measurement of how their soul is doing. Look at me real quick. Just look at me. Let me ask this question. So I'm not not trying to be weird with you, but I just got to look you in the eyes. How's your soul? Do you know? What's the condition of your soul? Is it healthy? Is it hurting? Is it growing? Is it stumbling? Do you know that Paul tells us that we're to take inventory of our lives? To check and see what's going on? How's your soul? Does it need to be fed? How's your soul? Is that God's job and you don't have any part of it? How's your soul? Is that a weird question? If I said, how are you doing uh, working out? I bet you could tell me. Good or bad. If I said, how do you feel emotionally? I bet you could tell me. But if I, spiritually, how are, how's your soul? Why do we never measure the most significant issue of our lives? So what they're doing during this time is they take 10 days, they look inwardly to judge what's going on in my life spiritually, and then here's the good news. You don't get that information in order to condemn yourself or to feel bad if the information is, man, I am not, I got a lot of junk in my life. It's the opportunity to say to God, Lord, save me. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? How good our God is to us. 
But sometimes we can't see another person because we can't get beyond seeing ourselves. And so much of life by so many people is lived just about them, their experience, what I feel, what I'm going through. Life, man, can I tell you when Jesus promised to give us abundant life, abundant life is not some formula or some, some carrot stick promise. Abundant life is real and it's true and here's how you tap into it. When you begin to live your life for the king and the kingdom instead of for you, you begin to tap into abundant life. Sometimes we just can't see because we can't see beyond ourselves. Our own stuff gets in the way of seeing others. Here's a prayer. Have you ever prayed this, thought this, spoken this to the Father? I want to see. It's one thing to answer the question, how's my soul doing? But if you want to take it a step further, then it's this. After deciding how your soul is doing, it's then saying to the Father, I want to see. Open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart. Let me know, teach me to see, teach me to understand. All right, Jesus takes a parable to teach people how to pray about seeing, to understand how to look at the world. I bet you're familiar with it. I bet you've heard it before. But let me try to shed a light. Let me, let me try to help you see something that maybe you've never seen. It's Luke chapter 10. Uh, it's 11 verses, 25 to 37. Uh, it just goes like this. One day, an expert, uh, 12 verses. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. How many of you know you're going the wrong direction with that Okay, so one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher or rabbi, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Look at me real quickly. That question of how my soul is doing, that's, there it is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How's my soul? Where's my spiritual life at? What an important question to ask. Teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus is direct. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? How do you understand it? How are you interpreting it? The man answered, I mean, he gives the perfect answer. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And then he adds the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of the gospel hangs on these two commandments. Love God, love others. Jesus emphatically tells him, you're right. Do this and you will live. Oh my goodness, if it would have just stopped right here. What a powerful story. But then this happens. The man wanted to justify his actions. Ugh. You're never going the right way when you're trying to justify your actions. Are you with me? So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him up. They left him half dead by the road. By chance, a priest came along. Now, let me just stop and tell you, I wish he would have said plumber. I wish he would have said horse trainer. I wish he would have used anything else but a priest here, because it bugs me. <sighs> By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Hold on, don't go forward, so let me, let me engage your imagination. I'm sure from a distance he saw something, but he didn't know what it was. And I bet his curiosity took over. And probably dressed in his priestly garb. He was making the journey down the road. And as he got closer, has it ever happened to you? You get close enough to realize what it is? At first you can't see, but then you can see. And then you're sorry you saw. So this guy does this, man. At first he can't tell, but as he got closer, he's on the same side of the street. And he saw it and he made a decision. And he went this way. Because if you don't see it, you don't have to do anything about it. And then the story goes on further. 
a temple assistant going on the same journey, walked over and looked at him lying there. So this guy, same thing, he's walking down the road and he sees the guy. Uh, he goes one step further than the priest. He gets close enough to kind of bend over, but then he makes the same decision. He looked at him lying there and then he changed direction because if you don't see it, you don't have to do anything about it. At least that's what he thinks. And then this guy, a despised Samaritan. Man, I don't have the time to go why the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along with each other, but um, it's just no, they, they were a mixed breed. And in Judaism, that's a no no. So they didn't like them because they worshipped funny. They did not keep themselves. Um, they intermarried. There was a lot of reasons why they were judgmental towards the Samaritans. But over a long period of time, a hate had risen up between Jews and Samaritans. Now, what makes this significant is Jesus is, he is deliberately taking those who are supposed to get it and pointing out that they don't get it. And then he's taking the one who's not supposed to get it and pointing out that this guy gets it. So it's sort of a slap in the face. Does that make sense? All right. Then a despised Samaritan came along, same road, same side of the road, and when he saw the man, read it with me, he felt, he felt compassion for him. So going over to him, he didn't cross over, he didn't ignore, he didn't turn his head. Going over to him, uh, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey, and then he took him to an inn. He took them there so that he would be taken care of, and the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. He told the innkeeper, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this... I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So obviously, they knew each other, and the guy traveled this way. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? The man replied, the only answer he could, the one who showed him mercy, who had compassion. Then Jesus said, you're right, now go and do the same, and now the conversation ends. So let me, uh, let me give you my three from this story. If you ever begin to pray the prayer I want to see, what are you looking for? How do you identify? How do you know who to help and how to help? And uh, Has this ever happened to you? Again, rhetorical. You don't need to answer it. But man, we live in such an affluent place that the word is out that this is an affluent community. So any, any place that you get off on 470 or 25, uh, yes or no, there are people waiting at the bottom for you. And they've got signs. Sometimes there's three or four on a corner. What do you do? Do you, uh, do you see them and go the other way? Um, the worst thing is, when they're standing there, it's not too bad, but when they start walking, coming towards your car, what do you do? Flip the dial? Lock the door? My name's John, I'm your pastor, I love you, and I'm trying to do something good for you right now. So don't get mad. What do you do? So here's my question, how can you help everybody? And how do you know who to help? I mean, I, I've made that mistake dozens of times. One time I handed a guy, I, it was 20, 20 or maybe it was even 30 or something, and parked and watched him do it two or three more times and then go right to the liquor store with the money. So then every cliche that I was ever told was true, but does that mean you don't help anybody? So what do you do? Well, how, what do we do in these situations? How, how are we not a Pharisee? How are we not a person who turns the other way. How do we do this? 
All right, so I'll give you three things that I think might help you. It's the way that I go about it, and then I'll tell you the cool story that helps tie this together. This, this makes it easy for me. Um, when you see others beat up, that's who you help. Now, when I say beat up, I'm not talking about somebody that got into a fist fight and it's obvious. Life has a way of beating people up. So let me give you an example. My mom was beat up all the time. So I have a soft place in my heart automatically for people who have been beat up. And if I find someone that's been beat up, man, it doesn't take, compassion just comes out of my heart for that person right there. The thing that I'm looking for all the time is the compassion of God. When I come into any situation where there's an opportunity to help, listen, there's not enough money in the world, there's not enough time in the world, there's not enough of anything in the world. You have to know what God is calling you to do. So the first thing that I look for, every one of us, listen, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit when compassion is activated in your heart. That's why you want to be praying, God, open my eyes. Because when he opens your eyes, here's what will happen. You will feel compassion. If you don't feel compassion, you don't need to be condemned unless you never feel compassion. Compassion is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you feel compassion towards someone, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you to it. My friends, James and Corrine, who sit right over here, man, so many opportunities for them to help people, but they get exposed to a bunch of orphans in Peru, and the compassion of God goes off like a siren inside of them, and now I can't stop them from helping orphans in Peru. They've gone crazy next level helping compassion is such a real thing. Because here's the truth. There's orphans all over the world, isn't there? But how do we know who to help? Look for the compassion of God in a situation. That's who you help. Uh, Let me give you a great, great uh, analogy with this. Dude, I want to be known for this one thing. I want people, when I die, when, when on my tombstone, I want it to read, he was the most generous man we ever knew. That is, that is my, uh, giving it away is not tough for me. I do it with resource. I do it with time. What, giving stuff away, that just comes so easy. And the older I've gotten, the more I've practiced it. It is so easy. My problem is I err on the side of it. But if you're going to make a mistake, I'd rather make one on that side of it. But it gets to the point where you've got to be careful. There's only so much resource to go around. All right, I'm leaving. You'll know where it's at. Safeway, Mineral, and Broadway. Can you think of that Safeway? That great big one, man, that really cool one, right? So I'm pulling out of there, and there's this guy um, who's got a sign, and it says, you know, they are, the sign's always the same. I'm stuck here, and I need help, and can you do something? And there's usually like a fish, you know, on it. To, and so uh, I'm like, you know, do I help? Do I not help? What should I do in this situation? And um, I was in a rush, and so when I came up to the guy, I looked real quick. God, is there anything there? And I wasn't sure, so I drove by. And as soon as I turned the corner around him, the Holy Spirit gut-punched me. Have you ever been gut-punched by the Holy Ghost? May you get gut-punched by the Holy Ghost so that you'll know God is alive and active in your life. And the Lord tells me you need to go back and help him. So I turn right on the mineral. I turn right back into the Safeway. I park. I go inside. There's a Wells Fargo. Um, Chris and I have an agreement, passed a certain amount of money we have to ask, but she wasn't there, and God gave me this crazy number I was supposed to get. (laughs) A freaking crazy number. So I'm like, Lord, I need a solid on this one, God. This is... Please, please. So I get this amount of money out of the bank, And I'm like, oh, God, God, am I making a mistake? You ever felt? I hope I'm, I hope you hear me. I hope we're talking the same language right now. God, am I making a mistake? Oh, God, please, I don't want to make a mistake. By the time I walk back out, he's standing next to his wife and three of the dirtiest little kids you've ever seen in your life. And I know. And so I walk up to the guy, and I said, hey, man, Jesus sent me to you. And he kind of looked at me for a minute, 
And I said, Jesus loves you so much that he actually stopped me and told me to come back and I've got something for you. I said, but what's going on in your life right now? And he tells me this story about his job and his car. He actually takes me over and shows me his car. And it is everything that he said. And the little kids are running all over the place. And he's trying to apologize to me about his little kids. I'm like, I got grandkids, dude. Don't. It's all good. And I said, how much money do you need? And he hedged on me and said something like, I, I just need enough to feed my family. I said, how much money do you need to get your car fixed? What is it going to take? And he tells me, and it is the amount of money I just pulled out of the bank, man. And I whip that money to that guy's hand. I don't even tell him, count it. I just give it to him. And I said, I just want you to know Jesus knows you, and Jesus loves you, and Jesus... He sent me, man. He sent me. And I prayed for this guy. He's crying. I'm crying. His wife is crying. Kids were terrors. There's no, no, no changing that. He doesn't know who I am. I don't know who he is. We didn't exchange numbers. There was no, he didn't kneel in the parking lot. There was no evangelist story, you know. 15 of his brothers came out of a van and we all had revival. No, nothing, nothing like that. But two things happened. He knew in space and time that God knew where he was and answered his prayer. But even more important, this pastor knew God knew where I was in space and time. And I heard his voice. Now, why is any of this important? Because I sit up here all the time talking about the kingdom of God and how powerful it is and the life that God promises us, the abundant life. And we all come week in and week out. We're reading our Bibles and we're saying our prayers and we're worshiping our songs and we're bored. And we're just like, you know, heaven's got to be better than this, right? And I'm just being real with you right now. And Jesus didn't promise abundant life then and there. He said, you can have it here and now. And I'm going to make a connection if you'll get in a place where you'll start asking God to open your eyes and let you see, you can bring, your job is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Jesus' job is to get you to heaven and your job is to bring heaven to earth. And you're missing out on the life that comes. You want to know why I'm turned on to this? Because it's real baby and it works. It's not theology that I'm preaching every weekend and trying to come up with a message. I'm trying to teach from, man, you know, this is such a different message than the last two. Or, let me tell you what I'm getting ready to do. We're about to do a series, um, a series that's not a series. <laughs> Meaning, what we're going to do for the next couple of months, I'm going to come every week and talk about the things that God showed me that week. The adventures I had with God that week in order to provoke you to, so that you'll know it's not some pastor talk. Yeah. All of us can do, I'm going to take a really huge chance and not prep on long series. I'm going to come and tell you, here's what God's been doing in my life this week and how he wants to heal and how he wants to revive and how he wants to move. And I hope, I hope what I'm saying right now, you're catching what I... Your pastor is very turned on to Jesus, man. I'm just like, I'm like this new man. I, maybe it's not for everybody, but if not, dude, what's wrong with you? So I just, my whole message is messed up. I'm sorry. It messed my whole message up. Uh, so to be, to be honest, um, I'm, I'm done with this message. That's, yeah. Uh, here's what we're going to do, Right? Um, ushers, go ahead and get, get on, get going. You need to get going right now. Start, yeah, yeah, start going. There you go. Um, our ushers are really, really good looking, but slow. So give them a, no, I'm, Dom, I'm kidding. Just, I'm just kidding. Okay, um, while they're passing it out, try to listen to me. Um, twice a year in Israel, they do this really sweet thing at Passover. Um, and, uh, at New Year's, and uh, I'm going to read this to you. I discovered this when I was in Israel uh, last week, and um, Chris and I began to practice it, and so um, I came back and I did it with my staff, 
And I want to do it with you because there's just this super cool blessing uh, in this. So let me, let me read this to you. Apples and honey. These words are inseparable pairings. We dip a slice of apple in honey, listen, to express our hope for a sweet and fruitful new year. So for the Jew, Rosh Hashanah is their new year, and the new year just started this past Sunday for them. We don't start till January 1st, but I want to get a head start. Okay? I want a couple months head start. So here's what they do. They take the apple and the honey, and the way that the Lord works, when he gives a commandment, um, he tries to create some type of an altar or an experience so that it will indelibly print on our brain. We'll remember it, we'll associate it. Smells, tastes, and sounds help us to recall things that God wants to do in our lives or things that we've experienced. So listen to this. Their toast, scripturally, for New Year's, Rosh Hashanah, they just had it this past Sunday, they take the apple and the honey because they take the sweet and then the sweeter and they mix the two things together and here's the blessing that God wants to give and then they use this to imprint upon their brains, this is God's blessing. Here's the, here's the toast. May your year be sweet. May your year be fruitful. May your year be filled with contentment. And may you experience the promises of God. So let me just ask you, how many of you want those four things in your life in 2019? Now, if you don't want them, I can't make you take them. But I'll take yours. Okay, so listen to this. Let me just connect this. Are you okay if I do this real quick? So I know it's not like regular church. I don't want regular church. Okay? I want Jesus to come do something cool in our church. Um, this is our 20th anniversary, and I have tried every month to find some way to celebrate it all together. Like, God, this is so special to me. Isn't it special to you? And it was almost like the Lord's like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal to me. Um, which was like really discouraging to me, you know. So I'm like, God. And at some level, the harder I tried, the harder it was to celebrate. And I finally just realized the Lord is holding this back and um, I'm not learning the lesson that I'm supposed to be learning. So what I need to do is just to let go and give this to God and, and then whatever, he's got something. So we're in Israel, and the, the team heads down to the Dead Sea. And I've been multiple times. And so Chris and I, just, we just said, hey, look, we got enough leaders here. We're going to stay back here. Uh, we're going to eat breakfast this morning, just the two of us, and just, just hang out with God. And so I was studying, and um, it's really interesting because Hebrew, um, Hebrew numbers are assigned a letter. So numbers in Hebrew are very important. There's a whole lesson here I'd love to teach you, but I don't have time. So the bottom line is this. Next year's 21. And uh, it's the end of a period, not the beginning of a period. So I'm just studying a little bit about biblical 21, and this is what it says. Uh, if you're in a 21-year time period, like beginning, and you've got 21 years to go, that represents judgment. So I'm like, oh, God, that's not what I wanted to see. That's not it. But then I read on and it says this, if you're at the end of a 21-year time period, it represents the blessing of God for the faithfulness. And then it's connected to Genesis 27, which maybe I'll read it. But they pull the blessing of the apples and the honey from the blessing that comes at the end for obedience. And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord speak to me and said, the reason I didn't let you celebrate 20 is because I've got something so good for you for 21. And if you force your way into 20, you're going to miss what I have for you for 21. But if he's got it, you have to understand, the 21 is us. Us, not me, us. 
And so I saw this, and I ran and got the honey and the apple. And Chris and I have been taking honey and apple every day, pronouncing God's blessing over our lives and over the life of our staff and over you. And I just, I know it's weird, but let's do this. Let's just do this together. I mean, I want you blessed. You want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I, so let's just do this. So let me read the blessing again, and then we're just going to take it. Here's the blessing. May your year be sweet, fruitful, filled with contentment, and may you experience the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Let's eat. The sweet on the sweet. Now, I would just say to you, you don't have to do this one time. The Bible is full. Communion is Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. We do those things because it jars our brain to remember. Remember that God's blessing is on your life. You're blessed to be a blessing. Not just to take it in, but you're blessed so that it goes out, it flows out. Does that make sense? Jesus, seal this blessing. Thank you for being good to us. God, thank you for giving me the courage just to be able to wander with you a little bit in front of all these people. Thank you for a group of people that lets their pastor wander a little bit. God, we want to discover the good things that you have for us. We don't know everything. We haven't figured everything out. There's so much you have for us. God, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just... <laughs> Faithfulness is great, but the reward of faithfulness is what we want. Lord, thank you for your reward. Thank you for your peace and your joy and your life and your goodness. Lord, I pray that people would even today go home and just start to begin to discover contentment, discover joy and sweetness. And when it happens, rather than going, oh, that's, that's interesting, let them go, it's because God is blessing my life. Father, we're blessed to be a blessing. And I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you for giving me a little extra time, for letting me wander a little bit. I hope you see the benefit and the blessing in it. I pray that when you leave this place, the blessing of God is attached to your life. No demon in hell can take it away, and no situation tomorrow at work will mess with it. You are blessed to be a blessing. Go in that blessing in the name of Jesus. I love you. Go home. <laughs>